Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God and... uh, I've been putting together several different studies to look at the biblical text to try to get a clear understanding of what is the real message of the Bible, the real message of Jesus Christ, what Moses was trying to teach the people. All these things are the same because God is the same yesterday as he is today. And uh, unfortunately, evil is the same today as it was yesterday, and it is seducing people away from the gospel and uh, seducing them into a way of looking at the the scriptures uh, through glass darkly, dimly. That their minds have been darkened, and this this comes up quite a few times in prophecy that we will... Uh, be sitting in darkness again and under a strong delusion, not knowing the true God, the true essence of his teachings, his way, his spirit. And we will, in order to do that, they have to get us to think in uh, a way that uh, we do not recognize what God was really telling us and what he was really trying to impart to us way back in the garden. See, we we once walked with God. We understood, we heard from God in our hearts and in our minds as a real presence. And then we did something in the garden. We chose to decide what was good and evil for ourselves. Uh, to eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil. I've added more to our... Uh, study on that because uh, going back to the original Hebrew, we see in the concordance. If you if you look up in your regular concordance, or if you have a Bible software concordance, that you can look up different words, and they'll say, "Oh, this Strong's concordance word, whatever four ten, means this." But when you go to the actual text and you look at the earliest text, you'll see that same often three-letter Hebrew word with additional letters. They will add two, three letters at the beginning or in the middle or at the end or all three places and uh, change the meaning slightly. And once you understand that these letters have meaning, you can go back and take a look at that and you'll say, oh, well, Yeah, it says this when you translate it, but the actual meaning seems to be leaning more this way. And this is very important because a great deal of the stories in the Old Testament are metaphors and allegories. The Bible tells us that. We know that from the language itself. The the Hebrew language itself is based on on the meaning that is ascribed to the particular letters that form the word. Just like in Greek, they will take several different words and form a new word, and it gives you a a richer meaning to know what the original two words were. But in Hebrew, 
this is the same process is broken down into the individual letters because the individual letters mean something and with those letters in combination they make a word well when you're looking at you say well I'm going to look up this word in the Hebrew text and they go to the concordance it'll say well this is the word that's there but in actual when you go to the text itself you find out Yes, that's the word that's there, but it has additional letters added to it because the author meant something a little bit different. You do that enough and you can, you can draw a picture with words that is not true. And of course that drawing that picture with these words, twisting them a little here, twisting them a little there, then reading them and adding your own particular interpretation, which has been done greatly. I've gone through, this week I went through a great deal of commentaries on uh, Micah preparing that study. And uh, they're all over the place. And they have lots of different ideas, but many of the commentaries, the people who are making them, are a part of orthodox religion and they don't actually practice the very basic fundamentals of what Christ taught. They, in fact, actually practice, especially the newer commentaries, they daily practice what Christ condemned and very clearly condemned without any fancy manipulation of the translation. It's absolutely clear that we were not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who called themselves benefactors but exercised authority one over the other. We were not to engage in covetous practices. Peter repeats this. Uh, Jesus certainly said it. John the Baptist, it was the fundamental part of John the Baptist's preaching of his baptism by water only because that's all he was doing was baptizing by water and then what changed in that individual's life when he got that baptism is the key element and what changed was he no longer was going to engage in the covetous practices of Herod but he was going to help one another he was going to sit down in the tens hundreds and thousands that's the way the Essenes were organized and take care of the needy of their society through charity this is one of the things that the Romans write about the Essenes that they and others as well write about the Essenes that they had this system of charity whereby they took care of the needy of their society. Today, people take care of the needy of their society by men who exercise authority one over the other. They call themselves benefactors. They provide lots and lots of benefits, but that those benefits cause the people to take a particular path which is not the path of Christ because Christ said we weren't to go that way Christ said that we were to live by faith, hope and charity but instead we are living by the force of a system of social welfare a system of literally religion religion was how you took care of the needy of society pure religion was doing so unspotted by the world And the word world there is constitutional order and system of government. Very simple. We were, if we're going to live by faith, hope, and charity, we're not going to live by force, fear, and fealty. 
people say, but we're saved by the blood of Jesus, so there's nothing we have to do. Well, if you're saved by the blood of Jesus, why are you drinking the blood of your neighbor? Why are you taking a bite out of one another through the exercising authority and powers and principalities of the world to take care of the social welfare? This is the Corbin of the Pharisees which made the word of God to none effect and it caused young men to do no more ought for their parents because they had given at the temple and now the temple was to take care of their parents. And that's what's going on today. And why is that going on? And and now that's a shocker to people hearing this for the first time. And they will say, well, wait a minute. You mean I'm not supposed to be taking Social Security? I'm not supposed to be taking welfare? I'm not supposed to be depending upon men who call themselves benefactors with Medicare and Medicaid, but exercise authority one over the other? I'm not to be engaged in covetous practices? Well, you can do all those things, but you're not following Christ. Any more than people have been following science (laughs) and looking at the coronavirus, which has been going on for the last year or so. And, uh, but actually now today, well actually coronavirus is in the news all the time and I always want to kind of review the news to kind of put our study of the Bible in the context of the time in which we live and the time in which we walk according to the ways of Christ. According to many calendars, today is the day between Good Friday and Easter. Uh, People have been preparing for the Holy Days. I get posts from people I know who are Catholic and they're they're preparing for their Easter service. And um, I, I guess I was invited to a sunrise service that they have out here in the desert. They go to Fort Rock and they have a sunrise service. I don't know if I'm going or not. There'll probably be somebody of our family there. But it's very, very uh, local people. And it's very important that we cultivate some local contact because we are somewhat isolated. Those of us who are actually trying to follow Christ, like the early Christians, they were kicked out of many of the congregations of Israel, uh, of Judea. They were kicked out of... uh, Society in many areas, that was one of the things that Christians seemed to remove themselves from the things that centered and, and caused the gathering of the people in society. But they were not really isolating themselves. They were focusing on this other way. That's what Christianity was called, this way of living by faith, hope, and charity. Now, in order to do that, of course, the people had to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and take care of one another and provide this uh, daily ministration of faith, hope, and charity. And this is what made Christians distinct from most of the other people of the Roman Empire and why many Essenes became Christians as well as some Pharisees and Sadducees. They repented and became Christian. We see Paul was the Pharisee of Pharisees, and he repented. At first, he was persecuting Christians because he saw them as undermining their system of self-government through the temple. And then he realized, kind of got struck off his horse in order to make that realization, that no, Everything that he thought was taught about being a good Jew, a good Pharisee, 
was wrong. Well, maybe not everything, but fundamentally everything because of the fact that it caused him to go a particular way where he was actually holding the coats of uh, the people who stoned Stephen to death. And he was persecuting Christians. As a lawyer, he was finding them guilty of not paying the tax. And the truth is, is that Christians were paying the tax, but they had another king, one Jesus. They were in a different system of government and that operated by this faith, hope, and charity rather than the form of government that operated by force, fear, and fealty. When you were in bondage in Egypt, you had to pay in your tally of bricks to the pharaoh. And that tally of bricks was basically your income tax. It was 20% income tax in Egypt. That was what made you bondage. 20% of your labor belonged to the government. And that was called the bondage of Egypt. We call it slavery when we see it in Cecil B. DeMille movies and and when we talk about it. But as some, if you get to the specifics of slavery, it was actually a core B system of statutory labor whereby a portion of your labor was extracted from you. Either you went away and worked or you paid in a sum of money or you sent somebody to work in your place but 20% of your labor every year belonged to the government. And through crafts of state, they were able to increase this, not with a graduated income tax, but they were able to do it through a system of taxing your children because they wanted to decrease the number of Israelites being born. And so they wanted to put pressure on them to decrease the number of children that they produced even to the point where some people were aborting their children rather than having extra children. And that's very clear in the text. And we've gone over all that before. But what I wanted to read from today, and I often wait till the morning. I do all kinds of work of putting things together, and I'm still working on Micah. And uh, I'm in chapter 5 now going through every every jot and tittle, <laughs> so to speak, and uh, looking at all the other opinions of how Micah is. To me, I understand what Micah was all about, but I, most of the research I do is to help dispel the delusion that other people have already put in your mind. Because, see, that is idolatry. It is idolatry to... Create an image of reality, either through reading or being told by other people or by your own interpretation, but you're creating an image of reality that just ain't so. And then you act according to that image that you have created in your mind or has been created in your mind, and that is idolatry. You don't just have to make a statue, you just have to imagine something that's not true as if it is true and act upon it as if it is true. And like I say, I like to bring up things in the news. And of course, besides the coronavirus that is not, is just a flu virus, 
It's a corona flu virus. It it probably was manufactured, and I've given the statistic. Dr. Key, one of the top, most cited doctors in the United States, all kinds of patents, uh, just an absolute super genius of a doctor. He's gone through and looked at the the coronavirus and actually looked at medical records from China and everything. And he says it's 99.8% positive that it was a manufactured virus. And there are others that are coming out with the same conclusion following different paths of investigation. And what was different about this manufactured virus was that they added certain spikes to the virus that allowed it to become more contagious. And one of those spikes is the S1 protein and that S1 protein can actually cause a reaction in your cells, like your smooth heart muscles, your liver, the placenta, other organs of your body, can actually start creating layers that affect, you know, if you thicken the walls of the placenta, the placenta may not function right, and you'll have a miscarriage. There's shot that they're giving out, and I'm repeating this. I know we've talked about it in great detail, and I put, up web pages that preparing you so that you can see it. But I'm repeating it because people are still going out by the millions and getting these shots and the shots all contain the S1 protein. Both the Moderna and Pfizer as well as the other uh, more standard created vaccines are all containing this S1 protein. And this S1 protein by itself without all the RNA and the mRNA that they may be adding in in these vaccinations, that can cause uh, eventually hypertension with the thickening of the muscle walls. And there are studies out, peer-reviewed studies out that explain all this. And we link to them on our website so you can go look at some of them. There's actually more now that I haven't put up there on the site because I'm spread so thin all already, but you should be able to figure it out with what we've put up there. That once you put this vaccination chemicals in your body, it can start a process that you can actually pass on to other people through body fluids, and uh, it can cause all kinds of health problems, cause your daughters not to be able to carry uh, a child full term, it can have devastating repercussions for dozens, uh, maybe 50, 100 years from now. And uh, we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, what Nobody's done the long-range studies. Nobody's done the animal studies. There has been studies done, and that's, of course, what we've, we've uh, reported. But people don't see it because they're looking at the media, because they're listening to their leaders and or at least they're listening to some of their leaders because even both sides are saying yeah get the vaccination i'm i'm suggesting that you do more research and maybe don't get the vaccination but the insanity that we see going on in the media is actually a lot more than just that uh this week uh you know the Derek chauvin trial is on he supposedly allegedly killed uh, George Floyd. In reality, George Floyd killed himself, and he killed himself by taking drugs that uh, caused uh, him to have difficulty breathing. He also had taken drugs and was 
somewhat paranoid, would not get into the vehicle. Of course, he was sitting in a vehicle when they arrested him, but he would not get in the police vehicle because he said he was claustrophobic. But like he was in a vehicle when they found him, so you can get in vehicles. You just were resisting arrest for quite some time. I think it was like 45 minutes was resisting arrest. Nobody shows you that in the media. and But he had taken this fentanyl, he had enough fentanyl to kill three of me and him, as well as other drugs. And uh, he swallowed it instead of just sucking on it, which I guess is the way in which you take it. And and that that's what caused him to die. It wasn't anybody, there was no bruising in his throat. I read the autopsy report that was available in the first few days after his death, it was available online. Anybody could go read it. Any news media could read it. And it's very clear that he was not killed by Derek Chauvin. Uh, Derek Chauvin didn't throw him to the cement. He insisted upon laying down on the cement. We have video saying that. They didn't show you that. They created a scenario in the news media to make you think that somehow or other Derek Chauvin is some kind of white racist and therefore tried to kill George Floyd. George Floyd killed himself. And Jeffrey Epstein didn't. But you don't even hear about that anymore because you are controlled by the media. And the media has an agenda. So they're trying to tell us uh, they've offered no evidence of this proposition that that uh, this trial is a referendum on American racism. There really isn't all that much racism in America. There is some. Uh, you'll find that here and there. And people say, well, you know, blacks can't be racist. Well, they can in South Africa. Uh, they can be racist there because they're the power there. They're in power. And that's what they say. Well, because blacks aren't in power, they can't be racist. If that's nonsense, of course, they can be. But there are racist blacks and there are racist Irishmen and there are racist <laughs> uh, whites around. But is it a real existential threat? No, it's not. It exists, but the answer is not calling everybody a racist. The answer is dealing with it one case at a time. And actually the answer is Christ. If you were actually doing what Christ said, you wouldn't be having hardly any of the problems that you have today. Almost nobody would be wearing a mask. There would be almost no problem with the flu. But, of course, you're not doing what Christ says, so your your eyes are actually darkened. And we're going to look at how that comes about and how we get them open again uh, when we come back from the break. We'll see how all this works out in a few moments well welcome back to keys of the kingdom so anyway we have this trial going on of Derek Chauvin supposedly killed George Floyd in reality George Floyd was overdosed by drugs and he's the one who insisted upon laying on the sidewalk and you can very clearly see in all the photographs that uh, Chauvin's knee is on the cement and his other knee is ready there in case George did, does what he had been doing for quite a few, uh, for a long time there. It was getting up and wrestling around and four officers could not get him to sit in the car and roll down the window and, and he just would not 
transport to where he had to go because he had been committing crimes. And he was intoxicated and he was on drugs and he wanted to drive his car and he was, you know, robbing the store with his, uh, you know, uh, was it uh, fake money or fake check or whatever? <laughs> I guess it was uh, counterfeit. But uh, anyway, uh, he his resistance, which he had a habit of doing, ended up, he insisted that he lay down on the cement. And they had already called an ambulance that were going to transport him in an ambulance. They called it again because he kept complaining about his uh, difficulty breathing, which he was complaining about before he even uh, got out of his own car. He was already having trouble breathing because he was high on fentanyl. And if all those reports came out, there wouldn't have been all the writings. But it was part of the agenda to create these writings. And uh, these riots in the streets. And of course the Bible talks about those riots in the streets. And what's going on. And how we become perfect savages again. And through covetous practices. And uh, I'm quoting of course Polybius who said that, you know, because we become accustomed to receiving benefits at the expense of others. That we will degenerate into perfect savages. Uh, Alexis Tocqueville said the same kind of thing. That uh, Plutarch said the same kind of thing. Certainly John the Baptist was saying it. Certainly Peter was saying it. Uh, certainly John said it. That we are altered by the way in which we provide care for the people within our society. And the Corbin of the Pharisees makes the word of God to none effect and alters us. And darkens our eyes. And uh, that's exactly what's been happening in America for almost a hundred years now. That we have been moving more and more to this idea of getting benefits at the expense of our neighbor through men who exercise authority one over the other. And that's absolutely contrary to the decrees of Christ. So you don't really believe Christ if you believe those things are okay. If you are doing those things as a matter of practice or policy, then it's not okay. You're not in accordance with Christ. You're actually a worker of iniquity. And you have need of repentance. So anyway, uh, this whole idea that there's this racism, we've talked about that in our our discussions on white fragility and uh, gone through a lot of the statistics on that. Uh, collected by blacks and repeated and, and taught and put down in books by blacks who say that the real destroyer of the black society, the black community, is those very gifts, gratuities, and benefits provided by the state, by that exercising authority of the state. That is what is darkening your eyes. That is what is separating you from Christ. That is what is bringing about a strong delusion. And uh, one of those delusionary things is that there's somehow or other systemic racism in America. There's going to be if you continue down this path, and, but it's going to be a product of your social welfare system and your news media who keeps repeating these things over and over again until you believe them. They're actually constructing a graven image of reality in your mind. You can go back to 2013. According to Reuters, 
a black person's chances of being murdered by a white person were five in one million. And according to the Washington Post database, a police shooting as of 2019, a black person's chances of being shot by the police while unarmed were approximately three in ten million. Three in ten million. So, the reality, most black people, the greatest danger to black people is other black people. And why is that? It's not because black people are inherently violent. It's because we have two people like Cloward and Piven and LBJ. We have targeted the black community for social welfare through men who exercise authority, through socialism. We have targeted their communities in order, LBJ did it to get their vote, and uh, Cloward and Piven did it to bring down the system. And they, they admit it. They have said these things themselves. And they have projected this in their own books, in their own writings as well. And so what we see going on in, in the writing in the streets is not a black-white issue. It's about following the way of Christ or going the other way. And uh, Proverbs tells us in 21.6, The getting of treasure by a lying tongue is a vanity tossed to and fro of them that seek death. That's right. Because that's going to be the product of this social welfare through the state. Social, somebody was saying, actually, uh, there was a guy who had been a career employee of the uh, Department of Agriculture, and actually someone who's in our local community was saying that uh, he believed in socialism because socialism is sharing. No, socialism is not sharing. Socialism is giving the power that somebody was advocating redistribution of wealth. And, uh, and somebody spoke out that the, the, you, you can't redistribute wealth and make people stronger. In other words, take from the rich and give to the poor. That's not really what Robin Hood was doing. Robin Hood was taking from the government <laughs> who was taxing the people and giving it back to the people. <laughs> so uh, he wasn't, he wasn't taking from the, rich and giving to the poor as some sort of socialistic redistribution of wealth. Redistribution of wealth exists within the kingdom of God. It's called charity. The person who spends the time, the energy, the sweat, the toil to produce the wealth is the best equipped to decide how to redistribute it. Because he understands the value of labor. He understands the value of what he's produced. He is the best to determine how to distribute that. You wouldn't believe this. The early Rockefellers were big philanthropists, gave away sometimes almost half their wealth in a given year to charities. Then, of course, some of them began to learn that by giving it away in a certain way, we could clean lots of favors from people and become <laughs> get people to do favors for us which allowed us to make more money but the reality is is that 
redistribution of wealth by charity produces a different outcome than redistribution of wealth by force. And this is why Christ was saying to live by faith, hope, and charity. Faith in the way of Christ. Hope that when you cast your bread upon the waters, it'll come back to you after many days. And charity, where you gave to the poor in a way that strengthened them. You didn't give to the poor in a way that weakened them. And those getting of treasures by a lying tongue, you know, like promising people freedom and then delivering them into bondage, is a vanity tossed to and fro. In Ephesians 4.14, we see that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. We, meaning those people who are living by faith, hope, and charity and not force bread of the Roman Empire. They were not eating the free bread of the Roman Empire because that was coming from men who exercised authority one over the other. They called themselves benefactors when they gave out that free bread and those other benefits. They didn't just give out bread. They gave out all, they gave out even money. When they were giving this out, they were weakening the people, destroying the people, destroying the character of the people. They certainly, those people were not going to have the character of Christ who came to serve. He didn't come to get, he came to serve. That's why you go to church. You don't go there to get, you go there to serve. And that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in Jesus. In uh, Ephesians 4.17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles. Walk in the vanity of their minds, having the understanding darkened, their understanding is reduced, they can't see clearly, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. That's what you see, these people saying, yeah, we should have socialism, we should have redistribution of wealth, take from the rich and give to the poor, who being past feelings have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. Past feelings. They don't really, they don't really understand. They, they actually are immersed in feelings, but it's a different kind of feelings. It's not the feeling of real love. It's a love of self. And so they're given over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. Now, when Paul is writing this, In Ephesians, he's writing to Christians that are sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and have created a network of faith, hope, and charity that is providing all the social welfare for their communities through that charity. He's not talking to you guys out there who are going to go to church tomorrow. He's he's talking to real Christians who are following the way of Christ. He's talking about you whose understanding has been darkened and alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. 
because of the blindness of their hearts, they actually think covetous practices through men who exercise authority one over the other is a good thing. He's talking, that's when he's talking about you. He's not talking about you when he talks about those that are faithful. But ye have not so learned Christ. Because Christ was absolutely against what most Christians do, most people calling themselves Christians do, in their walk daily. Because they depend upon the religion, the public religion, of the Gentiles. Not the private religion of Christianity. They depend upon the... They don't take care of the widows and orphans in their church. They have men who exercise authority take care of the widows and orphans, provide Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, all these other benefits that they provide. And this has altered them, altered their thinking, has darkened their understanding. If so, be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Lust for what? Lust for benefits. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. See, you will be renewed in the spirit of your mind and according to Christ if you go the way of Christ. If you don't go the way of Christ, but create this false image of Christ in your mind and say, I'm saved by the blood, while you're still drinking the blood of your neighbor through men who exercise authority, still taking a bite out of your neighbor through men who exercise authority, you will and have been devoured. Even your mind will be Devoured because you will be darkened and tossed to and fro by 40,000 different denominations of Christianity that has simply divided the sheep, divided the flock so that they are more susceptible to the predators of the media and of politics. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Now, who's the devil? Uh, that's the adversary. He says, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the things which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Redistribution of wealth. You labor, you work, steal no more, covet no more that which belongs to others, lest you will, they will be able to take away from you. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And he goes on from there. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, Christians at that particular time could join through baptism, 
and sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, this networking of of ten families gathering together and then picking a minister and that minister gathering together with nine other ministers like himself and then they picking a minister created this network which allowed Paul and Barnabas and others to carry supplies all over the Roman Empire to provide for the people during economic dearths and famines and earthquakes and all the other plagues that came upon the people. And this was part of that travailing of Christianity. But that's not what modern Christians are doing. Modern Christians are going to men who exercise authority. Their religion is socialism. Socialism is the religion you get when you have no religion. Their The modern Christian's religion is not pure religion because it is heavily spotted by the world. World meaning constitutional order and system of government. So you've gone this other way and most people who think they're Christians can't see it. I come along and point it out. They're not going to like me. They're they're not going to like what I'm saying to them. And they will want to resist it because for lots of reasons. Uh, The same as people couldn't see. uh, They didn't take the time to see. I had somebody here and I says, well, you know, you a guy is innocent till proven guilty. They saw a little bit in the media, a little bit on YouTube, and they assumed Derek Chauvin was guilty of murder. And that, you know, the reality is that that knee hold, which was not heavy pressure on the neck, there was no bruising in the muscle tissues of George Floyd's neck, so he wasn't putting, and you can see, anybody who looks, you can draw a line, all the weight is on the knee that's sitting on the cement. Uh, They all tried to get him to sit in the car. They said they would roll down the window. And he just fought them. Fought them for quite some time, and nobody put that video up. So you think, oh, he's clearly not resisting arrest. He clearly was, and they just didn't show you. They manipulated you. They manipulated you for a reason. And you couldn't see their lies. And you can't see the lies of your pastors that are teaching you evil things, false things. In Romans 8.38 it says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers nor things present, nor things to come. What's he talking about in there? In Ephesians 3.10, to the the intent that now unto the principalities and powers, there it is again, is in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The principalities and powers in heavenly places so there's principalities and powers in heavenly places and there's principalities and powers not in heavenly places. <laughs> Ephesians 6.12 For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So how do you wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places? Well, you repent. 
and start going the way of Christ. The more you go the way of Christ, the more Christ will come unto you. Because that's a part of that process of repentance. In Colossians we see, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So that's that's what Christ was doing. He was spoiling principalities and powers, but he was also part of principalities and powers in heaven. Different principalities and powers. Everybody, somebody said just the other day was saying that whatever happens is ordained by God. We just have to believe in him. But do you believe in him? Are you the faithful or do you believe in an image of him that has been created in your mind? This is this is your challenge to find out. And of course, this is why James will know by what they're doing. If what they're doing is coveting their neighbor's goods, you know, or pastors who try to become the comforter rather than leading people to the Holy Spirit, which is supposed to be the comforter. We're not, pastors are not to be the comforter of the people. It's the Holy Spirit that is the comforter of the people. If your pastor thinks he's supposed to be the comforter, he's probably an ear tickler. He probably hasn't drawn you a true representation of the character of Christ. So therefore, when you say you're coming in the name of Christ, you're coming in the name of Jesus, it's not the real Christ, it's a fake Jesus, it's a fake Christ that has been created in your mind. See, yes, if you come in the name of Jesus, well then... You're going to be coming according to the character of Jesus who came to serve, not to be served. He came not to covet your neighbor's goods, but to covet a more righteous habitation that operates by faith, hope, and charity. If you spend your whole life coveting your neighbor's goods, why would you be expected to be uh, welcome in the kingdom of heaven? You won't be. So I I went over this before, but I'm going to do it again here. Metaphysics is this branch of philosophy that examines the fundamental nature of reality, including the relationship between the mind and matter, between substance and attribute, between potentiality and actuality. And of course, that's what we're talking about. Who is the actual Jesus Christ? Who is the actual faithful? Who are the actual believers? And who is not? You know, this Greek word that we see as metaphysics is from meta, ta, physica. After the things of nature. Nature includes what we can see, feel, touch. But it also includes the spirit. In this quantum realm of our reality. And this is how we're going to make this distinction between the principalities of heaven and the principalities of the world. But we'll have to do it when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom after this brief break. So don't go away. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Now, we've gone through Romans uh, before. And we have that all up at preparingyou.com. And it has side notes and explanations and audios are included there. So that you can uh, use this as a study program to take a look from at least our point of view... From what we see, if our eyes are open. Now, 
you know, the the Corona thing, from the beginning, we were sharing with the people of the network that uh, things were not adding up. We were praying about on a daily basis, what is going on here? Because this flu, they're not counting flus. Uh, deaths and few uh, flu uh, occurrences in the same way and so we looked up things like PCR tests and what was the actual statistics and you know like you know Nicaragua just crushed this uh, corona thing they had almost no deaths whatsoever why why did they have such success down there Africa tremendous success against the coronavirus uh, yet they're going around and now they're vaccinating everybody in Africa or trying to. Uh, there's a resistance there as well. In South Africa, there's uh, a great many people have been vaccinated. The repercussions of all this will, will unfold. And there's not much point in telling you on the radio what is expected to happen because of this. But we could see things that other people didn't see. And we write this down. We make it all available for free. Yeah, we don't, you know, there we, we really is no need to buy any of the audios from us. They're all up there on the Internet for free. And uh, there are people waiting to try to help and share this with you. But until you sit down, if you until you come in the name of Christ, and you know you're not coming in the name of Christ if you're not gathering in the tens, hundreds, and thousands like he commanded. You know you're not coming in the name of Christ is in those gatherings you have not come to serve one another, to become the social welfare, the daily ministration through faith, hope, and charity that was evident among the early Christians. That if you're not doing these things, you're not following Christ. Because those early Christians were following Christ. And it's the same today as it was yesterday. But I thought, because yeah, yesterday, uh, for instance, uh, speaking of yesterday, yesterday was Good Friday, according to many people's calendar. And uh, I spent the day fasting. I fasted for at least 24 hours. And uh, also spent the day working, building corrals to hold in a bull who has become quite the jumper. <laughs> and so my corrals, you can't even see over them anymore. And I put some heavy-duty gates on uh, to hold the bull in because the bull doesn't want to stay in the corral. And he needs to be corralled for a couple of months so that we don't have calves during the hardest part of the winter. Although we've had fairly mild winter this year. Really, the temperatures have been about the same, but we haven't had the big storms that come through here in the mountains. And because of that, it's been remarkably dry. But anyway, those are, that's the way I spent yesterday. And then I spent a lot of light last night going through the different, adding to these pages. Like I say, I'm up to Micah 5 and going through that. But I want to go back and reread a lot of the commentaries before we start in that. We may get to that before the day is out, either in this show or the show that we do in the afternoon. But you really need to join the network to find out everything that is going on. And uh, you won't know everything that's going on until you join the Living Network because we don't put everything out on the radio and we don't put everything out in writing. I was going to take a look at Romans 8 because I was already quoting from Romans 8, 38 
about these principalities. And what I did this morning is I, you know, I, I put that down to add that in. And I thought, well, I'll read the verse ahead of it and the, the one before that. And I, I went all the way back to the beginning of Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, that lasciviousness we talked about a few minutes ago, but after the spirit. And the spirit is this thing, not flesh and blood, but this other thing we call the spirit, the spirit of God, the the soul of the most high. We're not to be walking after the flesh. We're not to be engaging in the Corbin of the Pharisees that makes the word of God to none effect. We're not to be applying from the benefits of the fathers of the earth or the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. Yet we know we may need help, especially in the days to come. Because coronavirus is going to seem, and this mask, these mask mandates and these shutdowns is going to be a walk in the park compared to what's coming tomorrow. Because <laughs> they're not done yet. Evil is going about devouring who he will because for the last 100 years you have been taking a bite out of one another through men who exercise authority. So now you've already gone way down the wrong way and you need to repent, turn around and start going back the other way. And we're trying to show you what the mind of Christ looks like. Because they have already told you that the mind of Christ says it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods to the agency of men who exercise authority. And you have become merchandise and you have cursed your children with trillions of dollars with debt in every country across the globe. So, now, we're going to take a look at what Paul was saying to Christians who were going the way that you have failed to go. You have stumbled at the way of Christ and gone the way of the Nicolaitans. So, verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin. Remember that this one word nomos, or we see it in the Greek, nomos, that uh, is the law of sin. Free from the law of sin. That means he can't sin anymore? Well, he goes on later and talks about the fact that he does sin. But it's because the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, he's doing something different. And James tells us we got to look at what he's doing to know whether he really has faith whether he really believes, whether he has repented or he still has need of repentance. For what the law could not do, and he's talking about from, again, you know, if you go to our Roman study, you go all the way back and we see who Paul's writing the Romans. He's not writing Jews. He's not writing Pharisees. He's not writing Sadducees. He's not writing Zealots. He's not writing Essenes. He's writing Romans. And this is why we point out that Herod did not only build the golden temple of Judea in Jerusalem, he also built the temple of Roma. That was for Romans and others and Greeks who had a different custom than the Jews. But they were both providing the same social welfare through the state that was compelling the sacrifices of the people. That's what the temple 
run by the Pharisees was doing, and that's what the temple run by the whoever it was who was in the temple of Roma were doing. You signed up and you had to pay in and they had the funds to help you if you had social welfare needs. That was their religion. And the difference between that religion and the religion of Christ was that not the symbols, not the statues, not the decorations on the wall. The difference was that Christ, because the Christians worked daily in the temple, But the Christians were doing it through faith, hope, and charity. Like John the Baptist said, like Peter said, like like, uh, Moses said. Free will offerings. This was the distinction. So now you have your churches, but they're just your comforter and ear ticklers. Your actual social welfare comes from the temples of government. And so Paul's talking to people that have created the daily ministration, rightly dividing the bread from house to house and the word from house to house, redistributing wealth through a system of charity. Everybody else in Rome and Greece, not, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of the other people, the, the trend of the day was to redistribute wealth through men who exercise authority. We call it socialism and communism today, which are extreme forms of this. But what we're calling Christianity today is not the Christianity of Christ. It's not righteousness. And he says in verse 4 that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, that you can't enter into the kingdom. What's he talking about? Jesus was the king of an actual physical kingdom. He was the physical king. He was hailed as the highest son of David. He was anointed. He was a proclamation, official Roman proclamation. This is the king of the Jew. Jews, three times, three languages. Thousands, thousands and thousands of families of Jews in Judea renounced the system of Corbin offered by the government of the Pharisees and accepted the system of Corbin offered by Christ, which was the way it was meant to be, free will offerings. In order to do this, the people had to organize themselves from the bottom up in tens, hundreds, and thousands and create that daily ministration through faith, hope, and charity to take care of the needy of their society through charity. Now, there were still Pharisees that wanted to do it the old way. One of them was Paul for a while, and then Paul finally realized that the old way wasn't the old, old ancient way. It was actually a fairly new way brought in by their FDR and their LBJ, whoever they were. Herod was one. And it was making the word of God to none effect. 
and turning the people into perfect savages. Dividing the people, scattering the flock, weakening the people. And we have been going that same way. So, like he says in verse 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The daily ministration was still providing real food, real bread, and food and aid to the needy of the Christian community. But they were doing it based on the leading of the Holy Spirit in every individual family. That is not, that's what he's making here in this distinction of carnality. There is no witchcraft, magic words, you know, that you can repeat and be saved. You actually have to go the way of the Spirit. Because the carnal mind is the enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh. Now one of the distinctions he's making, he goes on to say, but in the spirit, if so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Which is what Christ said. See, if you have the Spirit of Christ, you'll be doing things the way Christ said to do it. You will be creating that daily ministration to feed real bread to the needy of your society, but through charity, through love, which you cannot see love. You can see the evidence of love, but you cannot see love itself. Yeah, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now that guy who just called in, he should be listening to this broadcast. He wants me to come to a meeting and uh over in Western Oregon uh and uh and deal with the government overreach. <laughs> but but uh here I'm explaining to everybody on the how to do this, but he this is an interesting case because this is really a, a nice guy, a great guy. And uh, he doesn't go to a regular church. He says that, you know, all out there in the, the countryside and uh, that's where the, his church is. He doesn't he doesn't believe in the organized religion, but he believes that there's government out there that is in government overreach. This is a, the exact same problem. The Christians formed a different government. They were able to do this through baptism. They joined a different government with a different king, with a different spirit than the kings of the world. The kings of the world would have you wearing masks and shutting down and uh, and forcing the contributions of the people. But uh, he doesn't understand, and I tried to explain this, but old, old tricks, people don't see it, that they think Religion is over here, and government is over here. Religion is what you think about God, 
And government is how you take care of the needs of today. You know, your social welfare and and all these things. No, it's not. <laughs> that uh, what you're either going the religion of the Pharisees, which was social welfare through government force, because they believed that they could force the contributions of the people and provide for the people accordingly. And uh, Christ said, no, you can't force the contributions of the people. You have to do it through charity. Polybius said that if you do it through force, that uh, you will be altered. You will be changed. The truth is, if you do it through charity, you will be altered as well. You will be changed another way. And this is this is the difference between living by the Spirit, being the Spirit of God, who this is part of his original design, or the Spirit of the world and evil, which is to force the contributions of the people like Cain did. Cain plowed the Adama. That's one way to do it, but it alters the people. So when we're reading in Romans here, down into uh, this uh, verse 9, where he says that if you're doing it one way, you're, you're none of his. You're not, you don't belong to Christ. That uh, in Christ does not dwell in you. And this is what's taking place, is that... And this is why Christ says those who say Lord, Lord, who say they're saved by the blood of Jesus, who believe that they're Christians, he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Because when you're a worker of iniquity, you cut yourself off from the Spirit of God. This is, and and what happens is that you now become subject to the people of the world, to the rulers of the world to the fathers of the earth, to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. You can't elect Trump to save you. That is crazy. That is insane to think that Trump is going to save you. He may have some policies in his mind that are better for your nation than the policies of whatever is in Biden's mind or Hillary's mind or Obama's mind. But uh, your salvation is in Christ and sitting down the tens, hundreds and thousands and starting to take care of one another through faith, hope and charity. The Israelites in Egypt were learning that when they were still in Egypt. They already had the tens, hundreds and thousands before they ever even left Egypt. It was how they were able to survive through the plagues which are about to come upon us. Some of them are self-administered plagues. <laughs> but if we go on into verse 10 in Romans 8, we'll see, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. It is not righteous to covet your neighbor's goods to the agency of men who exercise authority. 
But you are trapped in the mammon of the world and you can't get out. We haven't got to the place where the government has said, if you want to go that way, you can go that way, but you're not going to get any of our benefits. You're not going to get any of the Pharaoh's straw or the free bread that was offered by the Pharisees. We see the the blind man's parents were afraid to profess Christ because they knew they would be cast out of the system of social welfare of their society. And they didn't and, and they were must have been old, elderly at that point because their son was grown up man. And they were afraid that they would be kicked out of the system. But Christ and John the Baptist had been making a system already. Creating a system already that was taking care of the needs of our society, of the society of the Christians, to be the Christians who would follow Christ. And so, one day, 2,000 families joined Christianity. Another day, 3,000 families joined Christianity. You know, that was 50 days after the resurrection. You haven't got to that point. Right now, the point that you're in is that you're trapped in a system where the wages of that system are death. We've just seen several quotes that talk about this death. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, we should live after the Spirit, because the Spirit giveth life, and the flesh that liveth of the Spirit shall not die as Christ lived and ate and drank amongst us in the kingdom. Our deeds are always in the flesh, but not always in the flesh. That They are in the flesh, but not Always in the flesh. In other words, what is he saying there? That almost seems contradictory. Our deeds are always in the flesh, but not always of the flesh. That's the the key difference is in and of the flesh. So, uh, what are we seeing here that uh, we need to understand? Is that this Spirit of God creates a certain pattern... And that pattern will control our behavior. Faith is a probity. It forces us to go a particular way. But it has to be faith in the real spirit of Christ. We have to realize that spirit of Christ that uh, dwells in us will only dwell in us if we follow the ways of Christ, the real Christ, the true Christ. Verse 10, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies 
by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So where does that take us? Where are we going with that? Are we doing what Christ said? Are we following what Christ was all about? Well, that's what we're going to look at in the last of the show here. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, where where are we going to go tomorrow? What are we going to do tomorrow? What is going to be the alternate uh, option that we have? If you If you read down... Where Paul is talking, I say the truth in Christ. This is in uh, Romans 9. The truth in Christ, I lie not my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption, the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promise whose are whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God blessed for ever, amen. And for a fuller explanation of these verses, you can go to Preparing You, and we have all that there along with the recordings that cover that. But I'm going back that he actually is, that he, he has this heaviness where he would almost be, choose to be accursed from Christ for their sake. He doesn't. He does that isn't what he's saying, but he's saying this is how he yearns this heaviness in his own heart. And I look out there in the world and I see people going uh different directions and, and making these choices and trying to find solutions, but the solution is in you. The and he goes on to say that later on in that same chapter nine, where he talks about the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And of course there was this conflict between Jacob and Esau. And Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for, you know, a pot of uh, porridge. It was a lot more extensive actually going on at that time. This is the metaphor of the story. But the reality is that's what we all do. They're trying to tell us how we do this. And uh, and Paul goes on to talk about this whole idea of being caught in this snare of the world through these covetous practices. We see that in... Um, Psalms 69:22 let their table become a snare before them and that which should have been for their welfare let it become a trap and and the same it, we see the same type of uh references in uh, in these metaphor statements the fool's mouth is his destruction and his lips are the snare of his soul and they they talk about i mean this whole idea of a snare is repeated in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea they all talk about this but in Romans 11:9 
Paul says, And David saith, Let their table be made a snare. He's talking about what should have been for their welfare. Be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. And this is the nature of the systems that offer these benefits by men who exercise authority. It becomes a snare. And Peter tells you that it will make you merchandise. And uh, that you are actually snared in what is called by Christ the unrighteous mammon. But that mammon will fail. And right now I see... Almost every politician out there, at least the majority of them, are doing almost everything they can to make it fail. And it, we will see it come upon that failure. And and, and Paul continues, you know, after verse 9 of, uh, of Romans 11, he goes on to say, Let their eyes be darkened, and they may not see... And bow down their back alway. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Paul was this minister to the Gentiles because he was bringing this gospel of living by faith, hope, and charity instead of the force and fear and fealty that made you a snare. He was saying to think this different way, to go this different way, to organize yourselves, to take care of one another with a redistribution of wealth through charity rather than force. This is the conflict that we see going on all the time in almost all the prophets. But you have been groomed to accept the idea that it's okay to get, you know, Social Security and welfare and Medicare and Medicaid and whatever, whatever country, you know, national insurance that you're in, that it's okay to desire those benefits which are referred to in the Bible as the wages or rewards of unrighteousness. Remember, he's saying the distinctive things that saves us is our righteousness. From the beginning, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The righteousness of God is not the unrighteousness of Cain. It's not the unrighteousness of Nimrod or FDR or LBJ or Biden or Trump. Or whoever you pick as a leader to provide you with benefits at the expense of your neighbor. You need to turn around from that and actually become a real follower of Christ in spirit and in truth. And go the other way. And people are not doing that. They're not going the way of righteousness. In 1 Timothy 3.7, we see, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. What snare of the devil is he talking about? Is this description of ministers, one that ruleth well his own house, 
having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? He should not be a novice. They're telling you, he's giving you the description of what your minister should be. Uh, Verse 1. This is true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Now, he's talking about not just the general ministers, but the actual bishops. And, of course, the word bishop there really has to do with being an overseer because he's not a ruler. He rules over his office, but he doesn't rule over the people because in the kingdom of God, which the Bible is a book, according to Wycliffe, for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. It's telling you, you organize yourselves in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and actually start caring about others as much as you care about yourself, which means that you will be contributing to your minister so that he can provide a system of social welfare for your community in good times and bad to help take care of one another in righteousness, through free will offerings, through charity, through love. Which brings the spirit of God, not the spirit that devoureth his neighbor. This is true saying, if a man desire the office of bishop, he desireth a good work. Because it's a job. A bishop then must be blameless. A husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, no greedy, a filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that is ruleth well his own house, having his children subject with all gravity. He goes on later and says this, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. The devil is the adversary. It's, it's, it's the ones who don't live by faith, hope, and charity. It's the ones who live by force, fear, and violence. He goes on to say, Holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of deacon being found blameless. Now, deacon, dechen, uh, really has to do with being the minister of ten. And the bishop ministers ten ministers, ten deacons. And they they this is how they set up the kingdom because this is what Christ commanded that you sit down in this tens hundreds and thousands ten families pick a minister a deacon a minister of ten that's why I mentioned the word dechen it's the it's the word for ten and that's this was common in the Greeks because they also organized in this tens we find the Romans organizing in the tens. Uh, we find the Essenes organizing in the tens. 
because it was the most common form of self-government in any free government they organized and tend. What made it a free government was the fact that your contribution to the government was free will. There was no dictator telling you what you had to give that you gave to those who you thought were good leaders. You've gone so far away from that, you can't even imagine what true government, true free government is. If you don't have a choice, if somebody has taken away your right to choose, then you have become a thing. You have become a person, a member. You know, before Paul says, let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always, you know, in reference to let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block, which is simply quoting David. He says, David saith, but David said, what should have been for their welfare has become a snare. But if you, if you go back up, it says the Lord they have killed thy prophets, digged down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. He's talking about Elias. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Remember the Nicolaitan and the and Balaam, the heir of Balaam and the heir of the Nicolaitan was the same. It was a system created like Nimrod, who offered he was a mighty it says hunter, but the word there actually is better translated provider. It's normally translated provisions. He's a mighty provider instead of the Lord. The Lord provided through this spiritual, through this metaphysical uh, flow of his spirit in the hearts and minds of individuals who gather together in righteousness to provide the benefits of society through a redistribution by individual choice in free will offerings. This is a free society. Any society that doesn't do it that way is not a free society. If they use a society where they force the offerings, you're following after the image of Baal. You're following after the ways of the Nicolaitan. Those deeds God hates. And you cut yourself off from God when you go down that road. That's why I quote so many different uh, philosophers and teachers as well as Paul who, and, and Peter who says through covetous practices you will be made merchandise. Polybius says perfect savages. Finding once more a monarch and a king. It's the same principle. It's built into the system. And when we go through Malachi, we will see again, like we've seen with the other prophets that we've gone through, that this is the repetition. FDR was following the ways of the devil. He was encouraging the idea of coveting your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority through a system of social welfare not based on faith, hope, and charity, but force, fear, and fealty. 
that when you signed up for his programs, and we, we explain all this in the book, The Covenants of the Gods, which you can download for free online, that you're following the ways of Corbin, the ways of the Pharisees, the ways of the Pharaoh of Egypt. And if by grace then, is it no more the works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. That's Paul in verse 6. He's talking about this election of grace. Even so then, at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. That, that would be the ones who have not bowed the knee, have gone this other way. But they need to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and actually provide for one another out of faith, open charity. And he explains this. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it. And the rest were blinded. They don't see it. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear. Unto this day, those of you who are hearing and realize what David said, let their table be a snare and a trap, that's the next verse, He goes on to say, let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. If you're starting to wake up, Christ had the solution. Sit down the tens, hundreds, and thousands and provide the same thing that that snare provided, but provide it through faith, hope, and charity. You have to do this in earnest. It's not, it's not just a, like a a gimmick or a little formula. But you have to do it in earnest. You have to actually care about the other people in your congregation, good or bad, just like you care about your children, good or bad, in a way that hopefully strengthens them. You don't go to church for what you can get. You go to church for what you can give. And and that's what you have to do is to turn around and go this other way. So, like I said, this is kind of a little bit of a prelude to Malachi. And and we're going to be starting to get into, you know, Malachi more and more and find out exactly what... Yeah, I'm saying Malachi. Micah. I probably said my, <laughs> I probably said Malachi several times. Micah. And there's seven chapters, or at least we see seven chapters, and there's a little bit of a debate as to how the chapters, again, like... It was in Malachi. How they divide those chapters up. And it's, you have to, this is one of those uh, where you have to go and look at the context of the the words in uh, Micah to really get a firm grasp of what he is trying to talk about. But he's actually talking about some of the same exact things that Malachi did talk about. And we already have that study up at Preparing You. And you can go through and listen to that. I really recommend that people listen to these audios. And if you can find other preachers that are saying anything similar, let me know and we will also promote them. But it's important that people organize 
themselves in this tens, hundreds of thousands. And because, you know, we saw this with the coronavirus and with uh, the riots that were created out of this ridiculous death of uh, George Floyd, uh, who was a guy who was, you know, they've made him out as a saint somehow and they've made a golden statue of him and everything. And the reality is he was a drug addict and a criminal and... Uh, a very weak individual, constantly going back to his old ways, and and he maybe wouldn't have gone back if they hadn't had the shutdown. But the reality is, is that he killed himself with his drug addiction and his abuse of his body. That eventually it just gave out. He wanted to lay down on the cement because he was he was he'd swallowed the fentanyl. That was in his mouth when they first arrested him. He'd done that before, but this time it didn't look like he was going to make it. And he didn't make it. But they created a whole scenario, caused billions of dollars worth of damage and loss of life and everything. Because the people were manipulated, tossed to and fro by the media. And still today, now they're lining up for this shot to go and take this what literally is a poison into their system that I, I have no idea knowing how bad this the reaction, the ADE reaction, we didn't talk about it this time, we've talked about it before, but also the the presence of the S1 protein affecting other tissues in your body. There's no end to how far this will go and and how far it will take society. But they have other plans for us coming up in the future. So anyway, in this, uh, in the MICA, and we will start that, uh, from the beginning because we only have a few more minutes, but, uh, I've got some of the notes already there in this, uh, MICA the Morishtite was a book that was passed down by the prophets in Judaism and he is supposedly this author of it and uh, he has this message and uh, it's it's prophesied he's even mentioned in Jeremiah and uh, he seems to be quoting Isaiah we see almost identical uh, phrasing in Isaiah chapter 2 verse 2 I think it is of uh, things that he says and uh, we'll go through it step by step and line by line. And we'll look at what a lot of the other um, commentators have said about uh, Micah over the years. But uh, basically he's talking about this same future of destruction that is going to be coming upon the people because they go a particular way. And it's really no different than what Polybius said and Plutarch said and and Seneca said and other philosophers uh, around the time of Christ were saying and historians were saying. And if you really understood history, which is why they stopped teaching history, now they're going back and insisting that they get this critical thinking history, this uh, uh, new way of looking at history that is supposedly so exact and precise. And it's actually just a history of hate. And... uh I was just listening to somebody last night uh, who was actually here talking about that people don't understand. You know, slavery was everywhere in the world. And it, they would have you think that white men instituted slavery. 
Uh, that is simply not true. I mean, evil instituted slavery. And that's where we've, we've been going. It's actually in America, it's white people that ended slavery. But then it was a white guy, FDR, who started it up again under the Social Security system where they take 20%, 30%, 40% of your labor. I mean, in Egypt, 20% of your labor belonged to the government. In America, 20, 30, 40% belongs to the government. Anyway, see you this afternoon. Until then, join us on the network. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.